everyone. Welcome to SAMA episode 148, a program which invites an expert each week to discuss a topic from their area of expertise. This week, we are delighted to have Dr. James Canella to teach us how we can improve the health of our hearts. James is one of the nation's leading heart rhythm specialists. He is certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine in clinic um, electrophysiology, cardiovascular disease and internal medicine. As a fellow of the Heart Rhythm Society and a certified cardiac, <laughs> cardiac has to happen every time during the introduction, something goes wrong. Oh. And, <laughs> and, a certified, oh. and a certified cardiac device specialist, Canella provides comprehensive patient care, combining best medical practice with invasive procedures using state-of-the-art technologies to treat heart rhythm disorders. My heart's going now. Hi, James. Oh, it's sure. to have you with us. <laughs> Well, thank so, you, John. It's very kind. What got you started? What got you interested in um, medical and in health, heart health? Oh, thank you for that question. That's a, it's been a long journey. You know, I started out in in mechanical engineering um, for the for the discipline. It was very uh, it was an exciting field. Um, a good place for me to start, I felt. Um, but towards um, you know, graduation, I wasn't so passionate about the topic of engineering. So I thought I would go um, in, in towards the health sciences, you know, so I pursued a master's of uh, biomedical engineering in Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh, um, became very interested in electrophysiology as part of that program and used that as a stepping stone to apply into medical school. And then oh, gone to wow. it and, and then and then ended up going to uh, Montreal, Canada for medical training. Oh, it's fantastic. So you've, you've done quite a broad spectrum then, haven't you? You started more in, in the engineering side, which is really grassroots. And then you've gone yeah. and you've brought that into the medical side. How, how has that helped you with your, with your work now, this background? Well, it's, it's, um, it's helped me understand basic electrophysiology, which is my area of clinical specialty. Um, but being an engineer, you're naturally a pragmatist. And our goal is always to solve relevant problems for people. Yes. So, you know, in, in my clinic, it's a very specialized clinic. We, we see patients for very, very particular problems. We can offer very high-tech solutions for those problems. But for the right person, those are definitely indicated. And um, we see tremendous results. And that's exciting. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I was trained to do. But then you start to realize that your patients exist in a larger context. You know, they have other medical issues, they suffer for other reasons, and they're always looking for answers. And uh, often they're reaching out to us, you know, for answers. And we don't have time in the office to discuss and answer all of their questions. So we started developing, you know, materials to handouts to give people so they could take home um, with our list of recommendations to, for diet, nutrition, other general health topics. And then finally, you know, when that got overwhelming, founded James Canella MD, which is my social media tag, put it all online and started to refer people to the online, um, online um, resources. So that was sort of the motivation was to address um, the ancillary needs of our patients surrounding, you know, their particular areas of um, areas of need within our um, subspecialty. Oh, do you find, do you think that your heart is in what you're doing now, rather than following just a career, you're, you're following your heart? 
this has been a tremendous outlet for me and it has become growing to be a tremendous outlet for me, which I really appreciate. You know, career trajectories were never straightforward. You know, I was as much ready to be an English major or English <laughs> major. I enjoyed writing, you know, and the humanities as much as I did engineering, you know. Right. But then you start to think, well, you'll never be able to go back. So why don't you start in the hard part yes. and see how that goes, you know, and then you learn that to to exist in the hard part and and um, the scientific aspects of your career is quite consuming, and it's hard to do both. Nevertheless, those passions and those interests um, remain, and this has started to become a good outlet for me, finally, to um, realize some productivity in those areas as well. Well, I'm an engineer, so let's start talking engineering. The heart heart is an amazing organ. Um, Amazing. It's it's pretty much self-contained, isn't it? It it sends itself its own pulses it, it controls its own rate how does it actually work like, so the opening the opening sentence of my um of my doctoral dis- dissertation was the heart is a mechanical pump that is electrically activated <laughs> 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 so the purpose of you know the purpose of the heart of course is to pump blood and support your circulation yes so it it's um it's a very at its very fundamental level, it's, a, it's an extremely simple organ. You know, a manifestation of that is that if your heart stops beating, you can perform CPR, you know, just push up and down on someone's chest. You don't even have to blow into their lungs anymore. And you'll reproduce the entire circulation. You know, you can sustain somebody at about 30% of their cardiac output, which is adequate to sustain life. So the heart's a system of one-way valves. And every time you push on it, it compresses and squeezes blood forward through its valves. And then when you release it recoils and it sucks blood into those chambers. So just making that structure contract will support your circulation and is, is um, adequate to sustain life. So at a, you know, fundamentally it's an exceedingly simple organ. Yes. And then it, and then it is also infinitely complex in how it controls those valves how the heart um, contracts in the most um, efficient ways possible, and then how the electrical system of the heart actuates those chambers and um, the disorders that can occur at the electrical level then completely confabulating the mechanical um, functions of that organ. So at first glance, it's exceedingly simple, and then it goes to as complex as you would like it to be. Right. So for something that's simple, and it's quite a strong organ too, isn't it? It's, it's basically solid muscle and a little bit of gristle and a bit of other stuff. It's got a huge proportion of muscle. Huge portion. So what can go wrong? I mean, it's, it's, it's built to last, isn't it? How, how, can it? how can it give trouble? It is built to last. You know, I, when I approach any heart, and this is what I tell medical students and how I actually think in... Um, in my own practice, anyone's heart, I think there's four thing, four areas of, that could go wrong here. There, you could have a myopathy, so there could be a problem with the muscle itself. Muscle can get sick. Right. Um, there can be a vascular problem. The coronary arteries that are the blood supply to that heart can develop blockages, which promote, which, which result in heart attacks. So you can have a vascular problem to the heart there can be problems of the valves themselves. So you can have a valvular problem. Right. And finally, the whole, the whole system is controlled electrically. So then you can have electrical disorder. So then on any one purpose, you're saying, what are the contributions of these four areas to this person's particular pathology? 
Yes. You know, it, it can be like someone has a blockage in their artery that's a vascular problem. As a result, that artery occludes. They have a heart attack beyond that artery. Everything that it perfuses uh, potentially dies. Um, now, because of dysfunctional, forms scar tissue. So now you have a myopathy. And because you have a myopathy and that heart chamber is now distorted, you get regurgitation or leakage in the valve. So now you also have a valve problem. So you put the whole thing together. What started with a vascular problem became a muscle problem, which now has a valvular problem as a result. And that becomes your grand synthesis of, you know, your, your conceptual framework for understanding that person's um, particular pathology. So and instead of, go ahead. So a lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. And, and everything's related, you know, but I try to break it down to those four ingredients and, uh, and try to put a, put a conceptual framework for the relationship of those four areas to each other. Got it. Well, how, how, what are the early signs? How can someone know that something's not quite right with their ticker? That, that there's an early warning sign that it's going off, that it's not so efficient, something is not functioning. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Early warning signs and everyone should know them. You know, if you're developing blockages in the arteries of your heart, the heart can then become ischemic and the classic um, presentation for that is chest pain. But a particular chest pain, it's usually felt as a heaviness or a squeezing sensation uh, in your chest, often a little more to the left and that pain pattern can radiate into your left shoulder, your left arm, also to your jaw. If that is worse with exertion and then relieved with, with um, rest or relaxation, that's a classic anginal pattern that suggests that you have a significant blockage in the artery to your heart and you need to be um, evaluated. People's right. pain perception evolves as they get older. They have less pain as they get older and the symptoms become more shortness of breath and fatigue. Or they can't lay flat because they're, they're fluid overloaded and that their, their lungs get congested. So if you notice abnormal dyspnea or shortness of breath, which is new for you, um, that can signal ischemia and it can also signal a myopathy where the heart is, where the pump function of the heart is starting to fail. So people should be sensitive to both of those things. Right. The, um, are there some foods that people can eat which are conducive to good heart health? Oh, absolutely. Good foods for heart health. We advocate... Um, a Mediterranean style diet. Um, the Mediterranean diet has been evaluated in clinical studies and shown to um, you know, be legitimate for heart health. So that is really a plant-based whole food diet. But then the things that are unique to the Mediterranean diet is there is um, a lot of raw mixed nuts, extra virgin olive oil. They use a lot of spices, which um, can really rev up your metabolism nicely so that's important you know it's one glass of red wine if you're going to drink yeah. they say once a day i try to tell people maybe once a week and then red meats is a treat no more than once a month and white meat is a semi-treat hopefully no more than once a week yes. and if you can if you can maintain that you, you know extra virgin olive oil in clinical studies can be up to a liter a week People have large amounts of extra virgin olive oil, which is kind of interesting. And uh, the quality of that is important, but um, those become your plant sources of fat, for example. Okay. And um, so I encourage people towards a Mediterranean style diet when they're looking for um, health recommendations. Okay. So basically, don't, if you cook uh, foods 
um, you'd lose a lot of the vitamin content, wouldn't you? So um, you can you can lose a lot with cooking, and you know the how the temperatures you cook at, the duration of cooking, what you do with the water, for example, that you cook the, the food in, um, you know, all those things can can detract from vitamins. So we, you know, when we say plant-based whole food diet, you know, whole food is you're eating the entire thing, you know, yes. if, if, if it's an if you're going to eat apple, it's not apple pie, you're eating the whole apple. You know, do you know what I mean? Sure. So you, you want, you want the, and you want the plant to be as close to being alive as possible as a rule of thumb, you know, so fresh cut lettuce, great. It's still perfectly living, you know, beans, raw beans wonderful if you have to cook them a little bit that's fine but the more you the more you process and the more you get away from that whole plant um the you, you know you just be real just realize you're going in the direction of um deleterious you know so plant-based right. food diet and, and stick to the living plant as much as you can because that living chlorophyll um interacts with your body in important ways too that you benefit from so you don't want to venture too far from that. And then, of course, a dead animal like a steak is the furthest thing you can get from living. You know, yeah. this is truly something that is dead. You know, yeah. you had to kill it to get it on your plate. Yeah. So that tells you you are the furthest from life that you can get. And um, this is, you know, not a place where you want to spend a lot of time. Okay. And it's interesting to use red wine as well. Maybe um, chase with a couple of shots of whiskey if you don't like red wine. But uh, how? What is? Yeah. What is the, <laughs> what is the, how does the wine help with the with your overall health or the health of your heart? How how can that help? You know, that's an interesting question. You know, the Medi You know, they, they learned about the Mediterranean diet by observing the Mediterranean. You yes. know, off the coast of Italy and some of these very um, rare exotic cultures where wine is an important part of their culture, you know, and they're growing their own, fermenting their own, drinking their own, yes. but they're doing everything. You know, they're walking large parts of their day. Yes. They're taking time to, for rest and relaxation, but it, you, you, you can't ignore that the red wine is part of their culture. So then we say, if you're going to choose an alcohol, make it a high quality red wine, okay. you know, and hopefully you'd get significant quantities of say resveratrol, which is the beneficial um, molecule in grape seed extract or in grapes, for okay. example, that's very healthy, very powerful antioxidant. Yes. But then you have to recognize that there's probably not a lot of resveratrol even in the very good wines. So to think you're getting a lot of resveratrol is um, a little bit wishful thinking. I think a lot of it comes from wine culture where, where you know, stress is so important. And people who, who drink wine often really make a point of relaxing and socializing. And those things are so good for you. Right. So good for you. Very important. I mean, your blood pressure goes down, your cells relax, they can re rejuvenate themselves, oxidative stressors go way down. We need to truly relax. And so many people in you know, large cities, I think the United States is probably the most culprit. And I can say that because that's where I live. We have a hard time relaxing, you know, lots of workaholics that, um, that don't relax. So people who do take that time and it can center around a culture of wine drinking um, and just have, have extraordinary health benefits. Workaholic James, like people that stay up late to be interviewed on Sema. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, shoot. What time is it for you? No, it's, no, it's not us. I'm, I'm on easy street. I'm, I'm Saturday morning. I've, Still got my slippers on, but it's you. Okay. About, you've just explained in America, you're all, you know, you're one of the worst countries for stress, and and 
you're not really following your own. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not too late for me, but <laughs> I appreciate the idea. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's more than just diet. It's also attitude and, and the way that you can, can two different people, the same diet, same job even, but be very different in their stress levels internally and the way that their heart health is. Just through their outlook. One may be easygoing, the other one may be an a inherently stressed kind of person. Yeah, that's such an, that's, you're touching on such an important idea where it's so much, I mean, stress is your reaction to some stimulus mm. and different people can be presented with the same stimulus, the same stress of their job, the same demands of their job, and some will handle and process it so much um, better than others. And that's, that's, that's so important. So it's, it's very much your reaction to things which, you know, segues into your attitude and general disposition um, which starts to tie into what I think is your energy axis and how our organs are programmed to respond and how they've evolved over time in our lives based on our psychological history and imprinting it goes very deep for me, yes. you know, where we've learned from, we've, we've learned from organ transplant that, um, key aspects of your identity and your, your, you know, your disposition, your preferences get imprinted into the other major organs of your body. You know, you think it's all stored in your brain and everything else is just, um, you know, going, going about its day, supporting that activity, but not true. You know, the heart is about 5,000 times more electrically dense than the brain as an organ creates an electromagnetic field that emanates from our bodies, surrounds us, can be measured very reliably four or five feet away, even up to 10 feet away in some individuals. That energy um, that, that comes from our heart surrounds us. It's modulating energy that reaches our bodies. It's modulating the signals that we're sending to people. When you're in proximity to someone, your heart's electrical signature can be isolated from that person's brain waves just because they are close to you. So your energy is actually affecting um, the people in your immediate vicinity, and that's even much more so if you're touch if you're touching them, such as holding hands, because that connection becomes stronger. I've often wondered why um, like, there'd be a group of people that I'd go and join them, and then they suddenly all get upset. <laughs> I wonder what it was. It was oh my, shoot! My heart. Yeah, yeah. So it's the heart. Okay, got it. <laughs> Could be the heart. Could be the heart. I thought, I thought it, that can't be my personality. It must be the heart. <laughs> Isn't that really intriguing? Well, of course, yeah. ECG machines, machines which have got coils which pick up the electrical signals from the heart. So the heart definitely is quite a strong generator of signals. And of course, right. your, body, your whole body is sensitive to fields. So, um, yeah. Right. And so what signal, you're, what signal you're emanating, what signal your heart has evolved to produce is um, a certain amount dependent on your own, on your own psychological history, you know? Your, your, what, what probably started in your brain as your major characteristics has been over time downloaded to your heart and reinforced right. in your heart. Right. So then now that, that organ, which becomes the, the booster, you know, is um, projecting that to the world. And that we need to think very carefully about. So I think, for example, that could modulate someone's um, stress response. Someone has a very high threshold, a very low threshold. Um, some people react strongly. Some people take things much more easily. Yeah. Their blood pressure changes. Mm. Um, 
their blood pressure changes in response to that stress is very different. One will be much more unhealthy than the other. Heart rate variability, for example, gets tied into those signals very carefully. Right. Um, and all of those things are going to be impacting your, your health and longevity in, in ways that accumulate. You know, especially if you're re-exposing yourself to that stressful environment um, um, day after day. So, so important that we get at least learn not to speak negatively to ourselves. You know, we cannot allow ourselves to articulate and particularly verbalize negative information about ourselves and even about our environment. Because when you now not only feel it, but vocalize it, you are amplifying the effects of that mood change tenfold. So you important. Do, you do psychology. You've got so many fields. I'm just wondering whether I missed one. Psychology, was that one of them? Psychology. It's interesting. And I'm, you know, I'm studying. I'm learning as fast as everyone else. You know? <laughs> I think you're learning fast. But it is an area of interest for me. And I getting back to this topic of energy and heart health and what are all the right. things that can influence. And so you... You know, it leads you into these other um, subject areas like psychology, and we have to consider those things. Right. Um, heart arrhythmia, arrhythmia. That, that's what happened to both of us. Just as, just as I hit the record button and we started this. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Start to feel the palpitations. The palpitations. And so the same palpitations you get when you meet your future wife. That sort of, that sort of thing we're talking about here. Now, but heart arrhythmia... It, it does it all the time, doesn't it? It's not due to external influences. It's when your heart does uh, fluctuate too much. Is that correct in my analysis? In my we, def we definitely want a certain amount of, of, of baseline background heart rate variability. Okay. Where, where your heart rates over time are um, sort of sinusoidal, if you like. Okay. And, that become, and that becomes your natural variability. And that's even true when you're sound asleep. You know, so you're sound asleep, you're not exercising, you're not moving. You would think your heart would settle down and just go at one rate while you're asleep. But in fact, you want it to be undulating and it's rate over time. And that's a sign of good autonomic um, connectivity for your heart, sort of a vibrancy and it predicts longevity. So you want, you want that background um, yes. physiologic variability um, per se. What if it's too much, too much variability? Too much variability, um, you may start, you may start to get symptomatic, you know, um, and experience it and not like it. So that's one, that's one possibility. Um, of course, true arrhythmias are when you flip out of, say, sinus rhythm. All right. So, All right. so your normal sinus rhythm you know, top chamber, bottom chamber, top chamber, bottom chamber. And even if that undulates a little bit, you're still in normal rhythm. Okay. Um, if you flip into a rhythm like atrial fibrillation, for example, yes. the most common sustained arrhythmia in our population, now you have this erratic, highly disorganized, even chaotic activity occurring in the top chambers of your heart, which you cannot control. It's not your normal heart impulse or, or mechanism at all. And then your bottom chamber is just responding to that Right. Um, beating as rapidly and, and, as, and um, irregularly as the um, top chamber dictates. And now you can be in a very uncomfortable rhythm, either that's driving you crazy because of the palpitations or is exhausting you over time because it's like you're in this perpetual um, marathon. Yes, that's so right. So that, that's, that's a true rhythm change, and that's oh, okay. you know, more interesting for me. 
So now you're not in normal rhythm, regardless of what, how that was behaving. You are truly in an arrhythmia. Wow, and that, that can be quite dangerous because you, in that state, your heart would not be pumping efficiently. Wouldn't be able to pump the volume of blood through your body. Right, so you lose efficiency. And then over time, the heart doesn't like that, say that irregular rhythm of atrial fibrillation, the rapid rates or the irregularity, and it may start to fatigue and dilate and, and really lose function over time. We call that a tachycardia-induced cardiomyopathy, where the rapid irregular rates, because the heart's trying to charge its cells and relax its cells, and with yeah. the irregularity, it can do that. Over time, that will have deleterious consequences. Wow. And uh, that's when the, that's when it starts to become truly dangerous rather than just bothersome. Mm. So what can we do about it? If, if someone does have arrhythmia, can they self-treat or do they have to go to see um, a trained medical professional for some implant of some form? Right. So if you have an arrhythmia, um, say, say you develop atrial fibrillation, you know, very common. We think 2% of our population over 65, 10% of the population over 75 has appreciable occurrences of atrial fibrillation. Wow. Uh, the, the first thing we have to think about is the stroke risk. Because yes. even, even if it doesn't bother you too much, um, based on your other risk factors, you can be at risk for a blood clot forming in your heart that your heart then pumps um, out your arteries to your head and, and next thing you know the cl blood clot is in your brain and you're experiencing a, a stroke. So we definitely we definitely need to be on top of that and on appropriate blood thinners if that's necessary and then and then beyond that a lot of it is driven by your symptoms. You know how aggressively do you want to try to be in normal rhythm to control the overall rhythm, or if we can't get you into normal rhythm, to slow down the atrial fibrillation so it doesn't bother you as much. You know, and that both of those things you do under a medical person's um, direction. Okay. Are there things that we can do to sort of prevent this from happening when you hit your 60s, roar your 60s and 70s? Well, yes, there's lots you can do, and it, and it, and it, it, go, it gets into heart health. And it's another reason, the electrical reason, which is not what people think about a lot, is um, you know, to, to be heart healthy. Control your blood pressure. If you have high blood pressure, you do not want excessively high blood pressure. So that is something to absolutely be on top of. If you are obese, for example, normalizing your body mass index um, can reduce the burden of atrial fibrillation by fivefold. Wow. So, is like that can have dramatic impacts on the electrical irritability of your um, of your heart chambers. So you're really going in the direction of, of heart health. And then other things that, I'll, that I start to go into are heart energetics and appropriate supplementation and um, ways your heart can your heart can stay energetically balanced and ahead of these things which um, can have an antiarrhythmic effect. Right. Does smoking have any detrimental effect? Oh yeah, smoking is smoking is terrible. Uh, about 17% of the people in, in North America, for example, are still smokers. We haven't gotten it below that. But you'll always see the, the, the burden of smokers in a cardiology population is always gonna be three or four times that. Gosh. Um, yeah, it really promotes um, the coronary disease. It, it very much act, um, exacerbates atherosclerosis and then also 
promotes lung pathology. And then those oxygenation levels, when they start to change, that can be very electrically irritating for your heart. Right. Yeah. The, um, so smoking, is there any other um, risk factors or things that people do in their, everyday, in their everyday lives which are bad for your heart, which we don't necessarily realize? Um, you know, we talk about stress. We talk about negative emotional events. Um, sleep apnea, for example, can be a huge problem if you have uncontrolled sleep apnea. If you are not taking care of your of your of your dentition, for example, you're not brushing and flossing. Um, the inflammation around your around your gums will cause inflammation in your blood, which will have um, deleterious effects on your heart. You know, if that's a sustained problem over time. So I think a lot of people aren't um, fastidious enough about their dental work. That's another. That's something I've had to learn the hard way. And um, really double down on and 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 get on top of you know for instance so sleep apnea excessive stress excessive alcohol obesity lack of exercise lack of daily cardiovascular exercise inadequate sleep all of these things compound together to promote cardiac disease in general and atrial fibrillation is an arrhythmia in particular and we can absolutely dramatically change um, the occurrence of these heart issues in our lives if we um, are on top of all of those things. This um, person has written in saying, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that was me, not him. But he says, I'm 45 years old. I had bypass surgery last year and the doctors say I'm fine, but often I feel a little uncomfortable. Do you know why? And it's a double question because it's also asking, is there any side effect after the operation? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, and it's, un it's um, unfortunate to have to, to require coronary artery bypass surgery by age 45. Um, but again, in, the, in a cardiology population, we have plenty of people where um, that's the situation. Yeah. There's always, there's always, you know, when you've had your chest opened and then, and then closed. There can be abnormal pain fibers, things like that, that can, that can continue to make you uncomfortable. Of course, what we worry about is that the revascularization may be incomplete. Even though they bypassed arteries, there may be still one segment of muscle that doesn't get the blood supply that it, it needs, and that can be enough to cause you cardiac chest pain, for example. So that would be, that would, as a cardiologist, that would be the first, my first concern is, was our, did our operation have incomplete revascularization there's still an area of muscle that's hungry for oxygen that isn't getting what it needs? Then at that point, because you've done the bypass, probably your best option is lifestyle and medical management. But we'd want to really identify that and then really encourage that person to, um, to be heart healthy and to adhere to the medical therapy. You mentioned um, the pain afterwards from the um, bypass surgery. Is that due to uh, nerves being cut? as your chest is being opened, then... Um, yeah, gosh. exactly. So, so why might you have a paresthesia or an un abnormal pain response after an accident or after a surgery? Yes. It's exactly that, is your nerves have been cut, and as you're closed back up, they're trying to reattach themselves. And so they're growing out in new and interesting ways that um, may, have, <laughs> may, have, may, have, may have a different pain response or response to stimuli than, um, than you had before. 
you know, a, a nerve may very well be just um, stretched. And so it's under stress and tension as a result of the scar tissue that's built up around it and sort of deformed it. And every time you move, that is exacerbated a little bit and you are now experiencing pain that you weren't before. You know, it's not the heart muscle. It's sort of the sequelae of the surgery. And Over time, that can change and get better. And so what, you know, what a plastic surgeon taught me is that whenever you have scar is manually massage that scar several times a day for a few seconds and over months and even years that scar will continue to remodel itself sort of flat and straighten out and um and you can change the look of it as well as um some of those pain responses so those are little things that people can try you know but from a, in the cardiologist's office your real concern is is that heart still missing the blood supply that it wishes it had right what, and what can we do about that? And should we talk about personal energy? This is something which you talk about. Could you explain this to us, please? Personal energy. Thank you. Personal. Very interesting topic. Very, and you'll appreciate. You know, you'll appreciate um, some of the engineering aspects of this. But when you sit in, when you sit, when you're in a busy cart clinical practice, you yes. know, and you're seeing people nonstop, day after day, for a variety of problems you start to make generalizations about why those people are in your office and what they're looking for. Yes. And this, I mean, this hit me like a ton of bricks, a eureka moment a year or two ago, honestly, where the words that people are speaking to me, and these are not necessarily very sophisticated people, you know, in my community, lots of migrant farm workers, for example, people in the fruit industry and, um, you know, not necessarily the most sophisticated folk, but what they want to tell you about and the word they choose is their energy. Right. Okay. Have I lost energy? Where is my energy? And then they'll judge the success of whatever we do for them based on how their energy levels change. Did my energy improve because you gave me a pacemaker, unblocked an artery, put me on a medication, or did my energy not change? And that's the word they're using to describe their need to you, is this word energy. And so it sort of dawned on me, as a ton of bricks, we're in an energy clinic. And what people are here for ultimately is energy. It, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a simplification, but it's a nice generalization, you know, to keep, keep us focused on what's really going on, is these people want you know, in the improvements in their quality of life, but they're going to express that to you in terms of energy, which is interesting to you and me who have a physics-based background because we've all, um, you know, heard the physics quotes and we know the status of the universe, that everything is frequency, energy, and vibration. You know, it's energy. and We know that energy is everywhere. And if you take a volume of mass or even air in front of you, that literally contains the energy of an atomic bomb. If you could only release it, so we are these beings literally immersed in energy. Energy is the substrate of all reality. And in this abundance of energy, here is this individual, this microcosm who can't seem to get enough of that energy. You know, So it's like, how do we improve your experience of energy, which can be very, very personal, but also mechanical and medical to a certain degree. So how are we gonna unleash that energy? How are we gonna restore um, energy levels um, to you? So it becomes a 
question that also has metaphysical um, metaphysical connotations, if you like. But but honestly, you know, if you have a condition like heart failure, again, this is epidemic proportions in our planet. People with failing hearts, that's going to be the number one cause of death for it's one or two with cancer, you know, that people's hearts ultimately just poop out and fail. So they, and we know that, that the, the cells of hearts that have advanced heart failure are deplete of their energy substrates. They don't have the coenzyme Q10, they don't have the D-ribose, they don't have the carnitine that they once had. They have struggled, they burned through their supply, and they can't get enough of those substrates to um, replenish their, their energy pools. In, in general, in, in the cardiology literature doesn't spend time on this, but we know that those cells are deficient. And for some individuals, supplementing with those product, products can make a dramatic difference in that person's quality of life and experience of energy. So it's literally, you don't have ribo sugar, this five carbon sugar that makes the backbone of ATP, which is the energy currency of every cell, you know, these phosphate bonds breaking and reforming. That's literally the chemical interaction that provides cellular energetics. Well, if you deplete your ATP pools, your body or your cell cannot replenish those pools. Why? Because it doesn't have enough of this five carbon sugar, which it has to be but the biochemistry to make it is very, very um, inefficient. And right. it's not in our diet. We are not eating this stuff. It's not in plants. Okay, we, so can, yeah. we can purchase it and we can supplement with it. And people who do that often find very quickly that their energy is, is improving. Right, so basically you're saying eat more sugar. Um, so <laughs> sorry, I'm putting words in sugar. <laughs> but it's not glucose. You know, glucose is the sweet sugar that adds calories and makes us obese. Right. Glucose is a five-carbon sugar. It does not give you calories. So you do not get caloric energy from it. It tastes sweet because it's a sugar, but you're not going to, you know, get fat from it. For example, it is a structural sugar that your body uses biochemically for other purposes. That sounds like an interesting sugar to you. Can they synthesize it for use in cooking? For example, if it doesn't contain calories and it's a natural sugar, I it, you know it, it's a little it'll be a little bit expensive, but <laughs> but um you know I'll use it to sweeten my sweeten my coffee for example and it works it works just fine. Oh yeah, so, yeah there's something on the market which is the sugar is there. Is it the deep ribose? Deep ribose. You can buy that. Wow. Yeah, in little buckets or whatever, and it's it's just white powder and it tastes sweet. A little bit different from glucose, doesn't quite taste like glucose, but um, anyone would tell you that was a sugar. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. That's so that, that, becomes a, that becomes a, an important part of our heart health energy support. You know, I'm, I'm quick to offer this to my patients and to en encourage them in that direction for those um, who are motivated and have the means. Not oh. something we prescribe, but it is something that people can um, purchase and supplement on. And those who really feel the benefit, um, they're convinced you can't get them off of it. You'll never take it away from them. So, so it does make a difference. And so that's something at a very fundamental biochemical level that we can do for people to, in my profession, help improve their, their experience of energy.
Right. So you've had your eureka moment, something like two years ago, and you discovered that you came to realize that people um, think in terms of energy, their own body's energy, um, relating to their health. How, uh, what change did that make in the way that you applied your knowledge? Um, I know what to look for in my, in my patients yes. and, what, and what they're asking for. And so when I recommend a therapy to them, I start, I start to think in my own mind, how is this going to change their experience of energy? Because I know that's what they're looking for. So it, it changes my approach a little bit. And in explaining to people, I will advise them, I think you're going to feel more energy when with this pacemaker, for example. And, so, and then their eyes light up a little bit more because that's really uh, what they're looking for. So yes. it, you know, it's, it's um, changed that way for me. And then understanding, under, under, understanding, becoming to understand the energy systems of our bodies, changing how I'm talking to people as well, and how I can advise them about sort of less medical aspects of their care. Like, um, should they be, should they be meditating? Should they be deep breathing? You know, what, and advise people on what is the impact of your, of your thoughts and your disposition and your thoughts and your moods and your attitudes on your health and your energy levels and how are you how can you go about to change those things all in the context of improving your energy you know i want to get people past very quickly you've got your diet straightened out you've got your exercise straightened out you've got your water straightened out you're <laughs> sleeping properly like you're behaving very healthfully right now you know Okay, so those are your energy foundations. And now let's get really interesting and start to look at the other things that are contributing to your experience of energy. Right, and yeah. the other things are probably the more important things that people just overlook them. More important. You know, I, I, could, I could talk about what I've learned from um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, you know, a cell biologist who talks about how the environment that cells are in it's the environment that dictates the gene expression of those cells. Right. So the, the physical protein products that cells are manufacturing will be dictated by the environment that they find themselves in. So what becomes the environment that cells find themselves in in your body? It is the hormonal milieu of your blood, which is bathing those cells. And that can be very different if your heart is producing the chemicals of stress versus the chemical, the chemicals of love, for example. Right. And when your cells are constantly experiencing a certain hormonal milieu, they will ultimately direct their gene expression one way. The products of those cells become literally what you are. And as those cells turn over, and we know that every cell in your body has essentially turned over completely every 10 years, and much of your body is doing it much faster than that. And what that new cell is going to choose to express and actually do becomes physically who you are. So now here's the importance of the hormonal milieu of your blood and how your attitudes and moods and the emotions that you experience are dictating that but then then how do you get in control of your emotions and where do your emotions come from you know your emotions come from your beliefs about yourself fundamental 
deep-rooted belief. So where did those come from? You know, they say 70% or 90% of our subconscious programs, we inherited unconsciously before the age of seven. So just reactions to things around us, to how we were treated by our parents. You know, no, don't touch that. You can't do that. Stay over here. Whatever it was, we, we made grand conclusions about the nature of the universe, which becomes our fundamental ingrained programming, right. which adults continues to direct so many of our reactions towards the stimulus that we encounter. Mm. And we are blind to what that battery of programs even consists of. And how are you going to get in there to edit those things and change them and re-script who you are and who you react so that your emotions can improve on mass so that the chemical milieu of your cells is more favorable so that the future version of yourself um, has changed in a direction that you actually want to evolve. Very wise words. Very wise words. It's hard to do. Most people, are, I, I suggest that they fail if they try to look back and try to make a real change. But you need techniques. You need to really have a, a strong. Oh, I don't know what the prerequisites are for it to, go, to make a change. Actually, I laughed when you um, said the chemical of love. That's a dangerous chemical. Causes no end of trouble. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> but that's that's another day. That's another day. Um, powerful, right? Like dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you want explosive energy, that's something to tap into. But you know, again, for me in the clinic, meeting so many people from so many walks of life, you're yes. like, oh, if I could just shake you and yes, yes, you know, oh, wake oh, up, change, and you're so dogmatic, or you're so stuck in your ways, or you've yes. got this negative attitude. Like, I need to just shift you out of that. And that's hard to do. So for you and for me, you know, subtle, I'd like to think, you know, subtle changes. How can we tinker with ourselves? Yes. You know, that, that's one paradigm. And that's all very nice. You know, the people right. who show up at self-help seminars are, are already into these techniques um, on their own. But then in the clinical environment where I find myself, people are not that sophisticated the majority of the time or many times. Yes. Um, they've never thought about these things it's obvious to you that there is a problem or a block. And, um, you know, it's those people who I'm in a position to help and want to help. So I want to bring this stuff to their, to their level yes. and, start, and start to spoon feed it to these individuals um, because I believe in, in the um, potential for them to, to benefit. Um, just going back to the, uh, the five carbon sugar, Carmen Walker, one of our lovely regulars, has asked if you are a diabetic type two, um, does it, can they still, can, um, can the person still take five carbon sugars or, or is there any bad effects for them? Well, they... you know, it's a non-caloric sugar. Okay. So, you know, so when you measure the glucose levels in your blood, which is what is relevant to diabetes and what's insulin is directing your cells to uptake. And then the insulin resistance and the whole nine yards centers around problems of glucose metabolism. So that's an energy substrate. So a diabetic, for example, could enjoy sweetness if they got that sweetness from a ribose sugar, for example, as opposed to from a glucose sugar. So they could perhaps enjoy their cakes and cookies because the sugar in there is ribose, not glucose, and it should not impact on their diabetes. Okay, good, okay. It's a great 
question, and I, I don't know why we don't talk about this more. Oh, let's talk about it more then. <laughs> let's talk about it more, but, or, or why the community doesn't talk about yeah, it Yeah, I know. It is crazy, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you probably why. It's because you've got to follow the money, you know, where you've got um, sugar's cheap to make. So, so obviously, the, the mainstay is going to always be sugar, but the alternatives are so expensive. The, they are expensive. You know, in a, a jar like this of ribo sugar, you know, $30, $40. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I mean, and the same bag of sugar would be a couple bucks. So but it, it can't be um, short-sighted because part of that $40 per container of that sugar is the savings you'd have from when you have to down, further down the line have your heart surgery or, or some other health-related. So if only we thought in those terms, on those economies of scale. You know, we are so short-sighted, honestly. Yeah. So short-sighted because that's absolutely true. And what that heart surgery will mean to your finances, to your longevity, it's, I mean, it's, it's stupendous. Well, the, the um, longevity, but also quality of life. If you've, got, if you've got some hardware inside you, which is impeding natural movement or improve, impeding, you're stopping you from doing what you want to do, which is go out and do something energetic. <laughs> you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to witness something inside you. Your quality of life goes down, your, your enjoyment goes down. Oh, sorry, am I talking too quickly? I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. You don't want those things to happen to you. And you want to be proactive up front and make the investment up front so you are not finding yourself in, the, in those health situations if it is at all avoidable. You know, no. you don't want to be the guy who had to have bypass surgery no. when he could have avoided it through appropriate lifestyle. You know, get educated and get motivated early on so that you never get to that stage. Okay. You know, well, let's. Given, um, I'm sorry. So, I was saying, given that so many people have gotten there, we have to rescue them too. You know, right. and I, I need recommendations and things for them because they can still do well and and have and have great lives. And so I'm motivated to help them as well. But for everyone else who hasn't experienced that, I mean, get on top of your health up front. It, it's your greatest investment and it'll be so valuable to you over time. You know? Okay. Um, if someone does, they're overweight, they've got a heart problem and you've got to do something serious. You've got to rescue them as you, as you put it. What sort of things can you do to rescue them? We're talking about operations, I guess, to, um, to correct yeah. <clears throat> to correct the problem? Yeah. So, you know, we can, we can start, it, it can come to medical procedures when it needs okay. to, whether that's bypass surgery or for me, whether that's an ablation procedure for atrial fibrillation, where we're going up in the heart with catheters and we're cauterizing regions of the heart, trying to get rid of atrial fibrillation. We can be very successful with that. Yes. Um, but it'd be nice to avoid those sorts of things if, um, if you at all could. And so there the health maintenance um, can be so good. And for people who have had bypass or have an ablation procedure, still those changes in lifestyle can be so important yes. in their, um, their long-term outcome and the durability of the procedures that they invested so heavily in right. or in. So we have to continue to encourage people, really motivate people, provide them with the resources they need to, um, to be successful moving forward. It can still be transformational for them, even if they've had these um, very large procedures. 
Nola Jacob has um, sent a question. Um, I'll, 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 I'll read it out. Um, sure. I'll, change, I'll change it a little bit, <laughs> as I do. Um, um, Nola is, um, she's not young, and she's got mild arterial fibrillation. Um, she used to have leg, oh, uh, she used to have leg, her legs collapsing, and she nearly passed out about every four days, but has since stopped, uh, uh, since being on 25 milligrams of um, etanolol, which I Thanks. guess is, is a drug. Um, specialist suggested, um, specialists have suggested ablation, but um, she understands it's not always successful and she's had problems most of her life, generally around her heart, uh, when exercising especially. Um, what can I do to avoid surgical intervention? Are there lifestyle changes that Nola can do to prevent um, having to go under the knife? Yeah, there's definitely things that can be done and other things that we can try. You know, for somebody who's got a significant burden of atrial fibrillation, um, an ablation procedure has been offered and encouraged to that individual. Um, but for medical therapy, they've only tried a tenolol, which is a beta block. It's a class of medications known as a beta blocker. So it blunts the stress response to your heart. Um, there are much more effective antiarrhythmic medications, which can have less, less side effects than a tenolol, for example. Um, that could be much more successful in maintaining normal rhythm for her. So I would encourage her to discuss those with her cardiologist, electrophysiologist, and see what they can, what they can recommend and perhaps offer her to see if she can find a medical therapy that resolves her atrial fibrillation to her satisfaction um, enough to avoid an ablation procedure. So I would pursue that. And it's true that ablation procedures don't always work, you know, and a lot of the success depends on the pattern of atrial fibrillation that you, that you have before the procedure. So if you have a form of atrial fibrillation where little bursts of AFib come and go on their own, yes. um, that's a paroxysmal pattern, your chances of success are 90%. Okay. But if you're kind of always in atrial fibrillation and it bothers you, but you're always in it or you're in it the vast majority of the time, then your success from a single ablation procedure drops to about 70, 75% okay. of being sustained in normal rhythm after that procedure. And those procedures also tend to be more aggressive. Um, so all those things, all those things um, play into the potential for long-term success. It's true that after an ablation, it kind of resets the clock on all your medical therapy because now the substrate's very different and it may, and your heart may respond to medications that it didn't respond to adequately before the ablation. So that's an interesting thing to consider too. Okay. But if you are hoping to solve your atrial fibrillation and never have any more because you had one ablation procedure, you know, you should keep those statistics in mind. Okay. If you're committed to getting a normal rhythm, whether it takes ablation and then ablation with more medications, in the vast majority of cases, we can get people to a satisfactory result in terms of their rhythm. But I would encourage her to, to ask about other antiarrhythmic medications like sotalol, dofetilide, flecainide, um, things of those nature. Um, things, names like that I would throw out to her and say, tell me why these wouldn't work for me. Right. Um, uh, Noel has just asked the question, will ablation reduce the risk of having a stroke? 
The answer is yes, it will reduce the risk, but it won't change it enough to allow you to come off of blood thinners. Okay. Okay. So you will still, blood thinners will still be indicated. Um, there's always a breakthrough rate on blood thinners and your breakthrough rate should be lower as a result of your AFib of your ablation procedure. But can we say it is now safe for you to stop your blood thinners altogether? That is rarely the case. Okay. okay. Well, I'd like to ask one question or two questions. Well, one's from Carmela, one's from me. I'll, I'll let Carmela go first because ladies first. Um, she just is another question with regards to this uh, Rebo sugar. If you're a diabetic and you take Rebo sugar, um, would it um, could a possible side effect be that your diabetes will be reduced? If the, your, your body will become more in balance and function correctly? I would say if I would expect that if Rebo sugar substantially decreases your intake of glucose that your that your um in your diabetes will be better controlled so if you can adequately re replace glucose and reduce your glucose in a meaningful way because you're replacing it with the ribose sugar i would expect your diabetes to behave more favorably okay but the diabetes easier to control you get a better long-term result okay less diabetes meds i would expect it to be easier to control oh great okay i got it and the other thing I'd like you to um, do is you'd, I'd like you to tell me off. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a chubby fruit picker. I've come into your office. I said, look, I'm just feeling unwell. My, I, I get tired quickly. I feel pain in my chest. Um, what do I do? How, you know, yeah, what do I do? I leave it open like that. What, what, what would you tell me to, to um, get my life back on track? Give it hard because this is going out to 20,000, 25,000 people. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing to do in the doctor's office is make sure you don't have serious heart disease underlying your symptoms. Okay. So we have to do our cardiology tests to make sure that your heart isn't suffering from blocked arteries, that your pump function hasn't appreciably decreased, that you don't have a serious valve problem. So yes. we might do a stress test. We might do an echocardiogram. We're going to do an electrocardiogram. We're going to do a basic cardiology workup to reassure us that that's the case. But if we, if we find ourselves at the place where I say, we have no reason to believe you have significant blockages in the arteries of your heart, the pump function of your heart looks very acceptable on your echo. The valves are performing just fine. You're in normal rhythm and you still feel like, you know, you still feel like crap. Now, all we have to work on is lifestyle, you know, and that's where we're going to dive into diet reform you know, routine, um, good exercise routine. Are you overstressing yourself out there in the field? You know, are you just carrying around too much or are you having toxic exposures to um, pesticides or things of that nature that could be degrading your energy levels? Um, we'd really start to uh, look at lifestyle. And if that person was so motivated, I'd want them on a personalized supplement regimen. I would offer them the heart health energy support supplements because they do do very vigorous manual labor, you know, and in that context, all the muscles of your body are burning through substrates continually and wow. probably can be topped up quite nicely. So I would tell the person about that, encourage them to, um, to try those things and see, if, see what their response is like. Um, now, knowing, knowing, what, knowing what I know now, if I, am, if I am maybe able to step out of my 
medical office, I would say there are other things that I have found to be very good for your energy level. Um, I'm, I'm using a supplement called Somaderm gel. It's a mild hormone replacement gel that's absorbed through your skin, tickles the major glands of your body to increase output, can shift nicely in the direction of youthfulness. I've appreciated that. If that person had peripheral vascular disease, you know, I've had it on my, on my site now, the Avacyn machine, which can work through heat in your arm to improve microcirculation, which we think has benefit throughout your body. That's something I'm starting to experience with, and I've seen a good number of people have had nice results with that. Those are the sorts of products I'm exciting, I'm excited about and, um, and steering people towards. So we've got your supplement regimen. We've got you on a great health trajectory. You're starting to look at some of these other things that can impact on your, um, on your energy levels, for example. And then I might start to steer you towards um, our, some of the subliminal reprogramming techniques that we feature on our website. You know, are you a chronically negative person? Are you a worry wart? Are you harboring self-limiting beliefs that are holding you back? And uh, what are you going to do to smash those, you know? And we can, in alpha states of relaxation, have subliminal messaging bypass our... Um, conscious defense mechanisms and start to rewrite some of those programs that can be very interesting and i've experimented with those and there's a number of um, resources online that do a good job in that in that regard and you know prominent um, clinician scientists like dr bruce lipton for example will recommend exactly the same thing to his audiences so i don't feel i'm i'm all alone in that regard so i make those sorts of things um, available to people on an educational level Everyone on Facebook is now asking me, what's, where's his website? Where is he? Where can I get more information? Where can people get this information, James? What Thank you. Where can I? Our information. So our, our, our social media tag is James Canaller MD, which isn't so convenient because my name's hard to spell. But youtube.com slash James Canaller MD. The website is jamescanellermd.com. And that really walks you through it energy foundations, water therapy, building energy, energy mastery. It'll lead you through all of these techniques, really edu educate you about what's going on, offer the appropriate resources, help you make the right decisions. Um, it's really on our website. Right. And then we're putting out more and more content on YouTube where we're explaining different aspects of um, those therapies and, and why they work. So I think it's all laid out best right now on our website and we're informing more and more um, through the YouTube channel. I have a free newsletter, comes out about monthly. If you go to the website, you'll be prompted to enter your um, name and email. If you choose to do that, you can receive the free newsletter where I'll talk about um, different therapies, different programs, how to access them, why they could be beneficial, and then you can choose whether or not that's something that's done. Uh, you want to want to try, and of course, people can unsubscribe at any time, so there's no obligation. Great, great. Um, remember, when I said there's just one more question that I like. Well, there's been two more coming. I, I think they're important, so I'll just squeeze them in just briefly. Is it the uh, uh, rebrose sugar or derebrose sugar? It, it's deribose. De so capital D dash ribose will be the way to find it. 
Oh, they're, they're, no, it's really the same thing. Okay, that's got Carmen off my back. I've got Zoe. <laughs> Zoe Love. What a lovely surname. Um, she says, um, my dad had quadruple bypass after a small heart attack six weeks ago. Um, he's now on aspirin and uh, Cledo. Why do they always give drug names? Incredibly long names that mean absolutely nothing. Uh, why don't they just call it something simple like poison one, poison two? But anyway, um, uh, uh, Clopidogrel. Uh, can yep. you go? Can you go back on fish oil whilst on these blood thinners? The question is, can you go back on fish oil while you're on blood thinners? Yes. Um, you know, those are that's a substantial blood thinner regimen, and we have to think that fish oils will have the effect of thinning your blood a little bit more. Okay. So you have to be aware that you might have an increased um, an increased bleed risk as a result okay. of being on the fish oil. So that's the thing to be aware of. Okay. But notice no doctor is telling you not to eat salmon every day, you know, where you could get that same amount of fish oil through, through your diet. Right. So I, I, I do not discourage anyone. I, I tend to encourage people to continue on, on fish oil supplements, even in those okay. contexts, because okay. I think the right. effect is very, very small, but I kind of advise them that there is a, that there's a risk. Okay, great. Now, um, I'll let you have the last word. Um, what single piece of advice would you like to give our viewers today with regards to heart health? Single piece of advice regarding heart health. That's, yeah. that's this is the, 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 the gem that you sort of put on the cake, or the cherry on the top of the cake. The, 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 um, just to finish off this uh, discussion today, what single piece of advice do you think is most important for someone who's watching this video and thinking, well, you know, what they're saying kind of makes a bit of sense, but what to do first? What's most important? What's most important? So your heart is a wonderful organ. You're so fortunate to have one. There's so much potential. There's so much to unleash and unpack with your heart. Guard your heart health, number one. It will impact and ripple through every aspect of your life in such important ways. Um, if the one top recommendation, I would say, is a plant-based whole food diet with then i would say moderate exercise you know american heart association 150 minutes of of low intensity activity like walking per week so 30 minutes five days a week of just strolling down the street is wonderful for your heart 75 minutes of high intensity exercise like jogging try to lift little weights two three pounds four five pounds a little bit of resistance training is so phenomenal if i know you're on a plant-based whole food diet and I know you are exercising, even in those um, very low intensity ways, I'm gonna feel very good about your heart health. Right, right, fantastic, fantastic advice. Thank, Thank you, you so much for giving us your time, your expertise, and your very, very valuable advice on health. We've, we've meandered a little bit in fantastic directions, but uh, we've um, focused mainly on the heart. It's been um, some of the things which you've covered was quite a um, was quite new to me, I guess, to many of our viewers as well. It's 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 lovely to talk to someone who takes an overall view of an issue, a health problem. In your case, we've we've been discussing the heart, and we've talked about other things, personality traits, stress, old. MDs don't normally think in terms of that. They, they, 
they put out the fire, but they didn't really think how the fire started, or they can't see the smoldering before the fire ignites. But it seems like you're naturally the sort of person who wants to know more. What, well, why did it start? How can we prevent it from starting in other people? And uh, you know, how can we best take care of people rather than just take the orthodox approach? So I really appreciate the time that you've you've gifted to us today to um, to uh, teach us and make us more knowledgeable about our own bodies and our own health. Now, I do encourage our viewers to visit James on one of his uh, websites. Um, it sounds like he's poured his heart into making sure that our hearts are healthy. James, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on to our show. Thank you, John. Thanks very much and for all you do for your wonderful interviews. Yeah, the world's a better place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's arguable. Well, a lot of people have got a high level of tolerance and they watch these videos, don't they? Thank you, everyone, for watching this um, this episode of SAMA. It's been fantastic having you, having you with us. Uh, take care. Keep passing love for us. And you heard it from James. Try and go for a plant-based diet. Try and stop taking lives. <laughs> taking lives is not good. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Goodbye. Thank you. Well, thanks, James. That was very, very enjoyable. I really appreciated you to um, you know, to put this time into into um, this interview. Um, sure. Some of the things were really surprising, really intrigued me. Also, this CPR. Now you saying you don't have to breathe when you're doing CPR; just do the chest compressions. Right. And I guess the compressions themselves gives a small amount of air movement through your lungs. Yeah. So the recoil of the lungs, you're probably sucking in enough, you know, enough oxygen to oxygenate your blood and, and stopping that to give to go over and blow in someone's lungs is probably not contributing very much. Right. So, so better just the continuous CPR, don't interrupt it, especially if you're just one person and yeah. uh, you can take it, you can replace heart and lung function. Amazing, isn't that? It's a great. I think everyone, everyone if, if, if you're still watching me, Rambo and James, um, go for a course, learn how to do CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. So one day you may save the life of somebody. Now, um, the, the side of putting infinite number of blessings into your own life, it also gives blessings into the person's life. It gives them an extension on their life. So they can see people like James here. And he can make sure that their quality of life is restored 100%. But CPR is very, very important. It's a life skill. Truly, it's a life skill. So I really recommend people to do that. Okay, well, I'm going to go and have breakfast, finish off my another one of my little... Um, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. It looks like coffee. It is. It's kefir. I make my own kefir. And... Um, I find that the more, I almost lost it, it almost died on me about a month ago. And I realized that it was because I was doing it too quickly. I, was, I wasn't pouring the love into it each time I changed it. So I gave it my full attention for a couple of weeks and now it's gone back to its beautiful, sweet self again. <laughs> but that's an aside. Okay. Well, you awesome. take care, James. Have a, have a great um, evening. And you thank too. You Thanks for again. having me, John. Thanks for looking me up and having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> okay, you take care.